starting our new series this week called Breakthrough, and I'm really excited about it. Uh, we're going to take six weeks, and what we're going to do in this is look at the way that God wants to bring breakthrough into your life. Uh, here's what I have discovered about life, is that it's a miracle what Jesus does. You weren't looking for Jesus when he found you. You were living your life. You were living in brokenness. Uh, you were living far from God. It says that you were living as an enemy of God. But he didn't despise you. He didn't shame you. He didn't condemn you. Instead, he came to you and he laid down his life for you so that you could then receive new life from him. Right where you were, it wasn't that you had to earn God's favor. It wasn't that you had to earn his approval or his blessing. You just had it because of the fact that he created you, because he loves you, because he has plans and purposes for you. He's just that good of a God. But he, it's miraculous what he did. If you've made that decision to follow Jesus, you know what I'm talking about. There was that moment where he had the revelation of God's goodness and that you decided, I'm going to spend the rest of my life following after Jesus because he's so good and because he loves me so much. It was, and you like, there's like the, like the warm, fuzzy feelings, whatever it was you might have had. But as miraculous as it is that God saved you, that he came to you and revealed himself to you when you were far from him, that's not the end of the road for you. It wasn't that Jesus said, like, good job, here's your halo, live a good life, and I'll see you in heaven. That wasn't what God wants for you. It says that God leads us from glory into glory, meaning that it was glorious what he's done. You are a glorious new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, it's passed away, the new has come. But he's not just leaving you at that point, but he has plans, he has purpose, he has destiny that you were created for. It says that before the foundations of the earth were created, that there were good works that he had planned out for you to do and for you to walk in. Before you ever were, God already had a plan for your life. It says that he's taking you from strength into strength. When you made that decision to follow Jesus, his strength came to you and has now empowered you to live in a new way. But there's even more strength that's available for you. There's even more strength that he wants to pour out into your life. God saves you at point A, but he doesn't leave you there. It's not even that he takes you to point B or to point C or point D. God has a continued journey and a process that he's going to walk you through all the days of your life into, until you step into eternity. And that he's taking you from a place that was once far from him, and he's leading you into the place of where you live out everything that he created you to do, and you become everything that he created you to be. That's the new life that we have in Jesus. But along that way, what you discover is that there's a lot of roadblocks. You're walking down the road, you're following after Jesus and the new life that he's called you to. You have vision for what it is that he's called you to. You have hopes and dreams in your heart that are from God that he's deposited inside of you. But along that way, there's going to be barriers. There's going to be roadblocks. There's going to be things in your life that tell you you're not going to go any farther this is as far as you're going to go in life. This is as far as you're going to be able to follow God's vision for your life. This is as far as you're going to go in intimacy and knowing God. This is as far as you're going to go in your marriage. This is as far as you're going to go in overcoming these sin issues. These are the sin issues that you're just going to have to live with the rest of your life. And when we come up across those things, the temptation is always going to be to stop and to accept that as a limit that we can't press beyond. But what God's called us to do is to break through those things. And that's why it's good news that our God is the God of breakthrough. That's one of the things that David said about him, that he breaks through like mighty waters. If you guys ever been in the... I remember the first time I was in the ocean. I grew up with a pool on a little lake in Michigan. Our waves were like that big, like on a really bad day. So I remember the first time I'm out in California. I'm a little kid, 
and I go out there into the water, and I got a new understanding for what it says, that God breaks through like the waters. As I went out there into the surf, you know, like you're like running slow motion into the ocean, and that first wave just, just like pummeled me backwards. And what I discovered is that waves are big, and they're strong, and they're relentless, and there's nothing that you can do to stand up against them. That's the way God describes himself in your life, is that for every obstacle, for every barrier that you come across, it says that he's the water that breaks through. He's the wave that continues to relentlessly pummel all of the roadblocks and the barriers that the enemy has set up inside of your life so that you can see the breakthrough in your life, so that you can continue to follow after Jesus and become everything he created you to be and do everything that he created you to do. And over the next six weeks, we're going to look at how it is that we can walk in breakthrough or how we can see God's miraculous breakthrough in our life. So here's the two things I want you to do in light of that. Is number one, I want you to be here for six weeks. I know that's, a, that's like a big ask for a lot of you, um, but I really believe that what God will do in your life will be so powerful that it will be well worth it to you. Uh, there's a good chance that every single one of these weeks is going to speak something really vital to you. Uh, but here's what I can guarantee you, is that the week that you missed, that will definitely be the week that you needed to hear. Uh, so be here for six weeks so that you can get everything you can out of this. But then the other thing is, you need to be in a breakthrough group. If you just come here on Sunday mornings, you're going to learn a lot of things. Uh, you'll get a lot of head knowledge. You'll get understanding of what the possibilities are for you or how you re like walk into breakthrough in your life. But it's really, really hard to do that on your own. You as Christians weren't created to live on your own. You were created to live and to exist inside of a community. That's what God says. He's building for himself a family. You can't be a family when you're on your own. Like, don't be the Christian who like, sits at the dinner table on their phone and doesn't ever connect with their family. Uh, like, you need to connect. You need to come into the family. And so we have breakthrough groups. They're going to be meeting during the six weeks. It's just an hour and a half. You go there, and uh, there will be a, about a 15-minute video teaching that goes farther than what we're um, doing on Sunday mornings. And there's this beautiful book that goes along with it, which is like the best small group book that has ever been published in the history of the world. I'm not over so like, look at like color photos, people. How often do you see that? Uh, and here's the thing. We bought these for all of you. Uh, we, we don't want you to pay for them. We got them because we believe that what God will do in your life through this series will be so good that it's well worth the investment that we make as a church. We want to invest in you because we believe in you. We know that God believes in you, and we want to see you overcome all the barriers and all the roadblocks that Satan has erected in your life so that you can move fully into the destiny that God has for you. So, Get signed up for a group. Uh, this is the one time you can pull out your phone, and I'll assume you're not on Instagram. Uh, you can go to radiantA2.com. There's the groups tab there, so you can sign up, see what ones are still available, or you can go out to Guest Central on your way home, and we'll help you get signed up for a group there. If you've never been in a group, trust me, it's just six weeks. You need to do this so that you can process and encourage each other in it. Uh, here's why some people are scared of getting in a group, because there's an area that you need to break through in your life. And you're afraid that if you tell everybody that they're going to be like, oh, gosh, that's messed up. Like, we need to pray for this person. And they're going to judge you and shame you and condemn you about it. That's, that's how the world works. That's how your workplace works. That might be how your family works. But that's not how the body of Jesus Christ works. 
It's the place where you can come and you can be real and honest and open about what it is that you're going through and know that people aren't going to shame you, judge you, despise you for it, but they're going to say, you can do it. They're going to be your cheerleader. They're going to be ones that encourage you, that help you walk through strategies, that are calling you, hey, how's it going? How you doing this thing? Texting you the encouraging things. You need a community of people who believe in you and are going to help you walk into this so that you can see breakthrough in your life. So go to RadiantA2.com, get signed up for a group for six weeks. You absolutely will not regret it. Now, this week, we're going to be looking at uh, 2 Samuel chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and you can turn to, uh, to 2 Samuel chapter 5. And we're looking at uh, this piece of the life of King David. And what's happened is it's, he's just become king. It's been 15, 20 years of him being the anointed king and waiting, and uh, it's gone really poorly for him. The current king's tried to kill him many times. He's been hiding out in the desert, living in caves, living in the enemy territories because there's no place for him in Israel. And now finally, after 15, 20 years of waiting as the anointed king, he has made the king. There's the coronation service. All of that stuff is going on. And the very first thing that he does as king of Israel, is recorded in chapter 5, verses 6 through 7. And it says, David then led his men to Jerusalem to fight against the Jebusites, the original inhabitants of the land who were living there. The Jebusites taunted David, saying, you'll never get in here. Even the blind and lame could keep you out. Like, I'm going to use that someday. That is a taunt right there. I wish I still played sports, because I would pull that one out for sure. And it says, for the Jebusites thought that they were safe, but David captured the fortress of Zion, which is now called the city of David. And what we see when we're looking at this, this short passage from the life of David is that, number one, breakthrough begins with a confrontation at the stronghold of the enemy. And I'd have to say number one because we only made it through the first point last service, uh, but, but that's just pretend. So what it's saying is that the, the, for you to see breakthrough in your life, the first thing that you have to do is to go to the stronghold of the enemy for a confrontation. Now, this is the context of that. But why was it that David went to Jerusalem? Why was it that he went to this fortress stronghold of the Jebusites as the first thing that he did when he became king? And it goes all the way back to what it was that God promised Abraham, uh, you know, hundreds of years before. Was Abraham was living in the land of Ur. God reveals himself to him and says, I want you to leave your father's house and I want you to go into the land that I will show you. He doesn't even say, like, I want you to leave your father's house and go to this place. He just says, I want you to leave, and after you leave, I'm going to show you where it is that you're going. If your kids told you, like, hey, Dad, I got a plan for my life. Uh, I'm going to skip college, and I'm just going to, like, go out there, and God's going to reveal to me what I'm supposed to do. Like, I'm not paying for that. Like, that's stupid. You need to go to school, kid. I'm not, you're not living in my basement. You're going to be back in three months tops. You're going to be living under a bridge somewhere. But what he does is he says, I'm willing to leave everything in my father's house, all the comfort, all the security of it, because I believe that what God has for me, even though I don't know what that is, is better than what I could provide for myself. God, I don't know what you have for me, but I believe that you're good. I believe that you're leading me into something that's better than my father, than I could ever provide for myself. And so by faith, he leaves. And he ends up being shown that this land of Canaan, the land where Israel is, is the land that God is going to give him and to give to his ancestors. Now after that point, 
you know, famine comes, if you're familiar with the story, and his grandchildren move down to Egypt. They're in Egypt. Joseph becomes second in command. You know, the, the family grows. They have power. Eventually, they become too powerful, so the Egyptians enslave them. And they spend 400 years in slavery, and they continue to multiply and to grow. After 400 years of slavery, uh, you know, and they're saying, God, I thought that we were a special people. I thought that you had a land of promise for us, but instead we're living as slaves in Egypt. What's going on? Well, God raises up Moses and uses him to lead the people out of bondage in slavery. Just miraculously, God moves and does this. And he takes them out into the desert to cross. It's supposed to be about a two-week trip to go from Egypt into the land of promise that God has for them. And they get up to the border of it, and they decide they're going to send some scouts out into the land. They send out 12 people to go and to look and to get a report of the land that they're about to move into. What's the land like? What are the people like? What are the cities like that are there? They all come back, and they all come back showing incredible produce and fruits and say it's a great land, it's a delightful land, it's a blessed land, there's lots of agriculture, there's lots of produce, all of these things are going on. But the problem is, this land is inhabited by giants. There are people there that are big, and they're strong, and they have fortified walls that are so thick that they're racing chariots around on the top of them. These are fortified walls. We don't have anything. We have the plastic sword that we got. Like, that's all that we have to try to go in to take this land. There's no way we can do this. We were better off in Egypt. Moses, you fool, why did you lead us out of this? We want to go back and be slaves again. So what happens is they come up to the land of promise for them, the place that God said that I'm going to give this land to you. It's a good land. But they get up to it, and there's a roadblock. They come up to it, and there's an obstacle there. And they look at it, and they say, there's no way that I can overcome this obstacle. There's no way that I can break through this barrier. So instead, I'm just going to give up on it. And I'm just going to continue to live in the desert. I'm going to continue to live in the wilderness, giving up and forfeiting the promise of God for me. So they do this for 40 years. For 40 years, they wander around in the wilderness. It takes them 40 years before God prepares their hearts enough to believe that he really can give them what he promised, that he really can do in them what it was that he said that he was going to do. So after 40 years, Joshua leads them into the land where the Jebusites are, the people who are the giants, and miraculously, God goes through and defeats every army that opposes them. Most of them, they don't even fight in. God comes and fights for them or scatters the people before him. It is miracle after miracle after miracle that occurs, and that's how they're able to walk into the promise that God has for them. But they get to the city of Jerusalem, and it's in the best place in the entire country. It's on the highest hill. It's the most strategic and most advantageous position in the entire land that God has given them. And they come to it, and they say, the fortress is too strong. It's too great. The people are too strong. So we're just going to kind of live around them. We're not going to take the fullness of what it is that God has for us. This roadblock, that's Jerusalem, that's inhabited by the giants, it's beyond us. Let's just be happy with what it is that God's given us. It's great that we're not slaves anymore. We don't need the fullness of what God has for us. We're just going to live with this enemy stronghold in the middle of our land. You know what the problem with a stronghold is? 
A stronghold always means that it's a position that the enemy holds inside of a territory that's not their own. It's a, it's a position, a stronghold that they have in your territory. And from that territory, from that stronghold, they're able to do raiding parties. And so they'd go out. And, you know, the, the Israelites are farming. And so the Jebusites would come out from Jerusalem, and they'd raid, and they'd steal their food, and they'd take their wives and, you know, children and things like that. And then they were able to retreat back safely to the stronghold of Jerusalem. This goes on and on, over and over again, generation after generation, just accepting that there's this barrier, that we're not going to move into the fullness of what God has for us. We're not going to receive his full promise for us because it's beyond our ability. We'll just live with it. We'll just suffer the attacks and be good soldiers and keep going on, just being grateful for what it is that we have. But we can't take hold of everything that God has for us. Well, David comes on the scene. And the first thing that he does as a king is to go down to the stronghold of the enemy because he wants everything that God has promised them. And he believes that God is able to deliver to them everything that he promised. There's no stronghold, there's no roadblock that's so great that God isn't able to bring breakthrough in it. So why did David do this? What, what made him summon the courage to go and to face off against this enemy stronghold that had been in his country for generations? It says this, the very next verse, chapter 5, verse 8. On the day of the attack, David said to his troops, I hate those lame, blind Jebusites. He's throwing their own taunt back right at them. He hates them. Why does he hate them? Because he's sick and tired of seeing his people suffer at their hands. He's sick and tired of seeing them as a constant uh, thumbing the nose at the promise of God. Yeah, God promised all of this to you. Your God's not good enough. He's not strong enough. We're stronger than your God, and you can't take this from us. He's sick and tired of seeing his people being raided and their crops being stolen and their wives and children being carried off. He is sick and tired of it. It says that he hates them. It's gotten to the point of where he can't stand any longer the thought of this stronghold of the enemy continuing to exist in the land of promise that God has called him to. He wants the full promise and the full blessing of God in his life and for his people. Now, this is what I'm going to preface it with. We live under different instructions from God. The point of this sermon isn't like, who's your enemy? Let's go down to their stronghold and let's storm them and kill them all. Like, that is not, like, if, if you're hearing that, like, please forgive me. Like, that is not at all what I'm saying. Because this is what I am saying. In 2 Corinthians, uh, it, God reveals something new to us. Actually, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, the new command I give to you is that you love one another, that you love your enemies, that you pray for your enemies, that you bless your enemies. There are no people on the face of this earth who are our enemies. Even those that would hate and that would kill you, they're not your enemy. 2 Corinthians says what the real enemy is. It says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We're fighting a spiritual battle. We fight against spiritual enemies. And what has to happen in our life is there has to be a hatred that is stirred up inside of us for the spiritual enemies that we're facing off again, that we say, I can no longer take this stronghold being in my life in the land that God has promised me. I don't care what the price is going to be. I don't care what the cost is to me. I'm going down to the stronghold of the enemy, and we're going to take it, because I'm not going to go one more day like this. Your life is like the land of promise. 
When God promised them the land, when he gave it to them, it was still filled with enemies. It was still filled with fortresses and strongholds. But they began the work of going through and claiming it and working it and taking possession of it and kicking out all of the enemies. When you made a decision to follow after Jesus, your life was still filled with enemies, the enemies of greed, the enemies of hatred and bigotry, the enemies of selfishness, the enemy that's sexual immorality. Your life was filled with all of these things. And God began the work of empowering you to go through your life and to kick out all of those enemies so that your life can be the land of promise, that you can live the life that God's called you to, the life that Jesus made available to you on the cross. And as you start going through that, you start seeing some victories. I was able to go from being greedy to being generous. I was able to go from having no faith to having faith. I was able to, you know, like, stop having to fill my cuss jar every day or whatever. Like, you start seeing that you're conquering the enemies, but every now and then you come up against a stronghold in your life. It's not like the other enemies that you've been facing off against. It's going to cost you something to do this one. Or maybe you've tried to conquer it before. There's a sin issue in your life. You said, yeah, I'm going to conquer this. And you fail again and again and again and again. And what happens is a stronghold is built in your mind where you say, this is something that I can't conquer. And that stronghold says, you stop here. God's called you to be this, but you're not getting there because you can't overcome me. Instead, you're going to live in shame, and you're going to live with guilt, and you're going to live with fear and anxiety the rest of your life because I'm an obstacle and I'm a barrier that you cannot pass through to get to the destiny that God has for you. has to happen in us is that we have to get so filled with hatred over our own sin. We have to get so filled with hate over the obstacles and the roadblocks that have set themselves up to keep us from following after Jesus. And we say, it doesn't matter what's going to cost me. I'm going after the God of breakthrough so that he can give me everything that he's promised me so that I can be everything he's called me to be. Here's how breakthrough and here's how strongholds work in our life. Is when I was a little kid, one of the things that I always did, my parents taught me this, and I believe it was the work of the Holy Spirit in me as well, was if I saw someone getting picked on, like they were my new best friend. I hated it when I hated bullies. If someone was oppressing someone, I don't care what was going on, like I was always on the underdog side. If someone was sitting by themselves at lunch, like I'm going to go sit next to them and be their best friend. If I saw someone getting bullied, I'd go up and I'd confront the bully and tell them to mind their own business and leave them alone. Like I'd walk with the kids in the hall, all that kind of stuff. Not because I have this incredible physique that inspires people or strikes fear into people, but that was just my heart. You know, I think there's something inside of us is that God gave us power not to use for ourselves but God gave us power to use for the building up of other people, for protecting other people, for strengthening other people. And God's called us to use all of our rights, all of our power, all of our privileges, not for ourselves or to exploit other people, but for other people, for their benefit. So there was this kid named Joey, and uh, his, from a, sang, uh, a single mother family, they were extremely impoverished. And he had a speech impediment. So that's not a recipe for popularity. He was always the object. He was probably the most picked on kid in our entire school. And so wherever Joey was, like, I wanted to be there. And people would always make fun of him, his hair, his clothes, or whatever, the way he talked. And so I'd always stand up for him and, you know, come alongside him, try to be his friend, sit with him at lunch, stuff like that. Well, in fifth grade, I remember it was the last day of school. 
and we're all out there getting ready to go home. Our parents are going to pick us up. And I'm sitting there, and I had a, a mason jar, one of those glass jars with water and a fish in it. And I was trying to remember why I had a fish, but I don't, honestly don't know. Like, I think the last day of school, it's like, congratulations, you passed fifth grade, have a fish. And so I'm sitting there with the mason jar with a fish in one hand, and I have my backpack in the other hand. And there's this ninth grader that's about 1,000 pounds, 12 foot tall, and he's down there waiting for his ride too. And he comes up to Joey and he says, give me your bike. And he was going to try to steal Joey's bike from him. So I'm like, oh, here I come to save the day, you know. And so I go up to him and I'm like, no, you leave Joey alone. You don't take his bike. And he turns and he looks at me and he says, who's going to stop me? I said, me. But it was, I was fifth grade, it's like, me, you know. <laughs> Maybe a car, me. <laughs> and before I even know what's happening, he grabs me by the throat with the one hand, picks me up, just bashes my face with the other hand. And I'm on my back. The, the glass jar is broken. There's water everywhere covering my tears. Thank you, Jesus. The fish is just like flopping around in slow motion. And like I'm crying and I'm shocked. And I don't know what's going on. So I grab the fish and I run into the school and I put it in the drinking fountain and I'm just putting water on it. I'm like sitting there crying and not knowing what to do. You know what really happened to me that day, though? A stronghold was built in my mind. What I learned that day, what the enemy did, was he built a stronghold that said that if you try to stick up for someone, you can't make a difference. The only thing that can happen is that you'll get hurt. So the next fall, after when we came back to classes again, when I saw Joey getting picked on, for the first time, I didn't stick up for him. I just kept my mouth shut. I didn't join in, but I didn't do anything to help him. And it killed me inside. I remember a couple years later, Jim, who was the biggest guy in our grade, had spent the three best years of his life in our eighth grade. He was tall, he was strong, and he was mean, and he was a bully. And he'd just look for people just to yell at him. He'd get in your face and yell at you and threaten you and every now and then just beat you up just because. Something like a really unhappy guy. But we didn't understand that back then and it didn't matter when you're getting beat up. You're not like, hey, you're a really unhappy person. That's why you're doing this. So anyways, he's talking to Joey and he's threatening Joey. Like a little bit of courage builds up inside of me. I'm like, Jim, leave him alone. And that was a mistake. And Jim comes over to me. He gets in my face and he backs me up against the wall because he's like seven foot taller than me. He's like, are you going to stop me or make me? I just put my head down. I didn't say a word. I just hoped that he didn't kill me. And then he went back to picking on Joe. And I lived like that because there was a stronghold built in my mind that even though that I was created, that I was taught that you stand up for the oppressed, that you use your power for the powerless, that these things are unacceptable and you have to stand up and you have to confront bullies. The stronghold in my mind was you can't make a difference. Even if you stand up, it's not going to really help them. You're just going to be the one who ends up getting hurt. So we got into high school, and Joey, uh, I quit basketball after eighth grade because I realized after eighth grade that there was no NBA future for me. And uh, some of the rest of my friends, they were still deluded and thought there was a chance. So they kept playing. 
And uh, Joey worked real hard. He wasn't good enough to be on the team, but because he worked so hard and our coach wanted to be sort of a father figure to him, he let him be the manager. So we got to scrimmage and be a part of the practices, even though we didn't get to play in the game. So it was really cool he got to do that. They were playing in the morning practice, and Jeff, who's on the team, he's one of the starters, uh, he's going up for the shot, and Joey just like jumps up and just like stuffs the ball back down his throat. People were like cheering and going wild because it was just so awesome that Joey, this guy who couldn't be on the team, they had so many obstacles set against him in life, had this incredible, miraculous play. And Jeff, humiliated by this, turned around and just decked him right between the eyes. I wasn't there for that. But after my first period class, I saw Joey had a big welt right in the middle of his forehead and that his glasses, the frame was broken and they were taped back together. I said, Joey, what happened? He said, nothing, don't worry about it. And he wouldn't tell me because he felt ashamed about it. So I asked some other people and they told me the story. And the bell rang and I went to my second period class and I sat there and I hated my enemies. I didn't hate Jeff hated what Jeff had done. I hated that Joey had lived his entire life being picked on. I hated that Joey had spent his entire life being abused and oppressed. And you know what I hated most of all? Was that I had sat there and done nothing for the last few years. I hated that there was a stronghold that existed inside of my mind that made me believe that because I couldn't do anything or I just get hurt, that I just had to sit down and shut up and let it continue on and abandon the call of God in my life. For an hour, I sat there and I had no idea what the teacher was saying, but I hated my enemies to the point of where I decided that I was going to the stronghold of my enemy and we were going to have a confrontation. So I went and I found Jeff after that period. He was at his locker. I said, Jeff, did you hit Joe? He's like, shut up, Jeremy, leave it alone. I'm like, no, we are definitely not leaving this alone. Did you hit Joey? Shut up, Jeremy. You don't ever hit Joey again. And then he starts yelling at me, and it's going back and forth. What are you going to do? Are you going to stop me? I'm like, yeah, I am going to stop you. And at that moment, Jim comes walking over. Jim says, Jeff, what's going on? Is there a problem? He's like, yeah, Jeremy's trying to start a fight, blah, blah, blah. And so Jim, the guy who I'd been terrified of, comes over, he's like, we're going to kill you. You shut up, Brown. You get out of here, germ, blah, blah, blah. We're going to kill you, blah, blah, blah. And they're just yelling and screaming at me. And that stronghold starts saying, you can't make a difference. Save your own life. Don't do this now. You're going to get hurt. Just let it be. But I couldn't anymore. I couldn't do it. I didn't care if I wasn't able to stop them, but I had to stand up and I had to do the right thing. I had to see breakthrough in my life because I was so filled with hatred. I couldn't stand anymore to see Joey oppressed and abused. I couldn't stand to see me live as a coward anymore. I was disgusted by the own sin that I had inside of my life. It broke my own heart. And so I stood up as tall as I could and I blew out my chest. And I was like, this ends. You don't ever touch Joe again. You don't ever hit Joey again, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm yelling at them. And you know what my plan was? I knew they were going to kill me. My whole plan was to get them to hit me. And Jesus said, you know, turn the other cheek. So I was following Jesus at this point. So I was just going to keep turning cheek after cheek after cheek until I was beaten to a pulp and they got kicked out of school. Like, that was my whole plan. And then in a week when they came back, I was going to go confront them again, so they beat me up again, so they got expelled forever, and then Joey would never have to deal with it again. So uh, 
My military career kind of flamed out. Nobody wanted me in charge of anything. <laughs> but that was my entire plan, was I'm going to get beat up, but I'm willing to pay this price so that I can finally conquer this and remove this stronghold from my life and be who it was that God made me to be and do what it was that God made me to do. You know what happened? They didn't beat me up. I just kept walking towards him. I didn't know what my body was doing. I was like, oh, I'm going to die. What are you doing? I'm why you don't ever touch Joey again. Never again. Do you hear me? And they're like, we're going to kill you, blah, blah, blah. But they're backing up the whole time. We're going to kill you. Are you going to stop me? Like, yeah, I'm going to stop you. And then the bell rang, and they went to their class, and they never messed with Joey again. (laughs) Me walking to my class. Because, you know, there's like the whole circle of everybody gathered around. Like, what's up, people? <laughs> Got to my class, sat down, just shook uncontrollably. Like, ah, what just happened? I can't believe I'm alive. That was the most scary thing I've ever done in my entire life. That's a silly example, I know. What's the stronghold in your life? Where is it that you've run across something in your life, an obstacle or a barrier that the enemy has built in the life of promise that God has called you to? You can't drive it out. You've tried again and again, and you've failed. You've just accepted that you're going to have to compromise the vision of God for your life. Maybe you started to believe that you can't do the things that God's called you to, that you can't know God like you thought you could, that you can't overcome the issues of sin in your life. Maybe you thought that you can't ever have a good marriage and you're just going to accept the bad marriage or the okay marriage that you have because there's a stronghold that the enemy's built inside of your life that's telling you lies, that's telling you that you don't pass this point. And he's using that stronghold to launch attacks in your life over and over again. It's not just that you're not living up to everything that God has for you and receiving every promise that he has for you, but the enemy is actively launching attacks into your life and then retreating back to the stronghold again and again and again. What's that stronghold? You have to get so filled with hate not for other people. You have to get filled with hate for the sin in your life. You have to get filled with hate for the obstacle, the barrier, the roadblock. So much so that you decide you don't care what the price is. You don't care what it's going to cost you. But you cannot live like this anymore. And you're going to the stronghold of your enemy for a confrontation once and for all. It ends here. It ends now. What's that stronghold in your life? Because we serve the God of breakthrough. He's just waiting for you to believe him. He's just waiting for you to come after him. He's just waiting for you to get so crushed by the weight of your own sin, so crushed by the weight of the roadblocks and the barriers in your life that you go down to pick a fight with your enemy. Here's what you need to know. On that journey from where you are to the enemy's stronghold, it's scary. But it says that even as we walk in the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear evil because God is with us. 
You don't go to the gates of the stronghold on your own. You go there with the living God, the God who nothing is impossible for. You don't come up against strongholds and barriers of your own strength, of your own abilities. You come up against them in the name of the living God. You come up against them with the God who nothing is impossible for, this being the one who's fighting for you. He just needs you to take a stand. He just needs you to get sick of it. He just needs to have you take that step of faith towards the enemy to say, this ends, this ends now, but this is no longer going to be the way that my life is going to be lived out. Would you stand with me this morning? This is where breakthrough starts for us. It's about identifying that stronghold. filled with hate. Jesus, thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you come now? Like a rushing wind that comes, like tongues of fire that fall. Holy Spirit, would you come? Will you come to search our hearts this morning? Would you show us the strongholds that are in our life? Holy Spirit, show us the lies that we've been believing. Show us where the enemy's built a fortress. God, show us the roadblock. Show us the obstacle that's keeping us from the life that you've called us to. This morning, would you fill us with boldness? Would you fill us with faith? And would you stir up a holy conviction inside of us? We can't take it anymore. This stronghold falls today. This stronghold falls as we go through this series. I cannot live like this anymore. Jesus, fill us with faith to believe you to be the God who nothing is impossible for. And this is what I want you to do. Every one of us could raise our hand for this the Holy Spirit's revealed something to you, if there's a stronghold that you know exists in your life right now that you need breakthrough from in this six weeks, would you be bold enough to raise your hand? Say, this, I, there's something I'm believing for. There's an obstacle that I'm come up against again and again. There's a stronghold in the land of promise that God's called me to. It's changed the way that I think. It's caused me to compromise. It's caused doubt. It's caused faithlessness. But Jesus, uh, this six weeks, I'm praying and I'm believing for breakthrough in this. Thank you, God, for every hand that's raised. Jesus, I pray that right now that you would do something inside of their hearts like it was done in David. God, where faith would stir up inside of them, where hope would arise. God, where your power and your might would come upon them. Jesus, that you would give them vision of the breakthrough, that they would believe you to be the God who nothing is impossible for. Jesus, I pray right now against the stronghold of doubt for those in this room who haven't been able to fully entrust themselves to following after you and being your disciple. Jesus, would you come and would you cause faith to arise inside of them, that they'd be able to crash through the gate of doubt into a full faith in you. Jesus, I pray this morning against the strongholds of sin that have been lodged inside of our hearts that we've combated again and again. But Jesus, this time we come after it not in our own strength and our own power, but in the name of the living God, the God who nothing is impossible for. And we're coming after our enemy, believing in breakthrough. 
Jesus, I pray over every person in here that's scared to enter into community, that's scared to be real with other people. Jesus, I pray that you would stir up faith and courage in them to be able to make that step, to get into a group where they're able to share the stronghold. And God, that they would be surrounded by other people who are going to bear that burden with them, who are going to encourage them, who are going to believe with them, who are going to fight and contend and walk with them to the gates of the stronghold that's in their life so that they can see victory and breakthrough. Jesus, would you use breakthrough in our church to lead us to become the people who you called us to be? God, we hate our enemies. The enemy of doubt in our city, the enemy of pride in our city, the enemy of oppression in our city. Jesus, we're broken by it. God, for the sake of our city, for the sake of the people that you surrounded us with, God, would you work miraculous breakthrough in our life so that we, Radiant Church, can be everything you called us to be, a people who are walking supernaturally empowered, supernaturally filled with faith by the Holy Spirit, to be those who are shining light in darkness, to be those who are preaching liberty to the captives, to be those who are bringing healing to those who are sick, Jesus, to be those who are seeing marriages restored and faith lifted. Jesus, would you set us free? Would you break down every stronghold so that we can be everything you called us to be, so that we can do everything you called us to do? We are people of the promise. And this morning, we turn our eyes to that promise, and we believe you once again. Every enemy must fall. We walk in victory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys ready for some breakthrough? the way you start a series. So here's the thing. I only got through uh, point one of four, but that's okay. But what we're going to do tonight is this next thing in the story of David is that he goes back to a stronghold right after this because the enemy, he sees breakthrough and then he's attacked again. And there's a way that David responds to that, which I was supposed to teach on this morning and I didn't. But we're going to talk about that tonight. So here's what I want you to do. Go out there, sign up for a group. RadiantA2.com, find a group. You need a group, please get in a group. It's so key to this, because you're gonna go home like, yeah, I'm gonna see breakthrough, and then by tomorrow you'll be like, nah. If you're not in a group, other people are gonna encourage you, support you, you're not gonna do it. So get in a group. And then come out here tonight at 6.30. We're gonna worship. We're gonna sing songs of breakthrough. We're going to worship the God of breakthrough. We're going to celebrate that he's bringing breakthrough even before we see it in our lives. And I'm going to teach briefly, briefly, ever so briefly. I'm going to have Joy start playing if I like, okay, give me 10 minutes and then you just got to start playing me off the stage about how we continue to see breakthrough in our life through worship. Sound good? My prayer partners come forward. If there's anything we can pray for you about, maybe you need breakthrough to start right now, we would love to pray with you. We see God move miraculously every week. If not, go out, find a group for yourself. Uh, come out here tonight at 6.30. And also remember, Thursday nights, uh, we're praying. We're praying for breakthrough at 8 o'clock. Man, this last week, prayer time was just so, it was just a sweet presence of the Lord, and it was powerful. So if you can make it out on a Thursday night ever to come pray with us, it is incredible. We're going to spend these next this week seeking after Jesus really, really hard, and we're going to see enemies fall. God bless. I'll see you tonight. <laughs>